Welcome to Honest Money. We have a special three-part series talking with authors Stephen Boyke Sidley and Simon Dingle on their new book, Beyond Bitcoin, Decentralized Finance and the End of Banks. In our last episode of the Beyond Bitcoin series, Warren Ingram and our guest speakers talk about loans in crypto, tax, money streaming, what the near future could look like, and more. Keep listening. Sad to say it's the last in our in our special series of Honest Money podcasts about a really special book, uh, Beyond Bitcoin, Decentralized uh, Finance and the End of Banks. Uh, I, it, I, I laugh every time because it's a long mouthful for me and I've got a short memory. So um, I, I think it, just to say again, I, I think it's a fantastic book. Well, well done uh, to, to the two authors who are with me today and I'll introduce them now. But j- just for people that are listening to this, it's it's really worth taking the time. I know we have a lot of readers on our, on our podcast, which is great. It sounds crazy to say we've got readers on, a, on an audio format, but they do. Uh, and, and for people that are looking for education, I think it, it, what it does do for me, this book, is give a really nice wide base uh, to, to this whole world. And then secondly, uh, after that, uh, a bit of a peek into the future. And I always like that because I think you know a peek into the future is important. You know we, we need to know that w- what we're seeing today is is definitely far from the finished uh, o- object. So uh, S- S- Simon Dingle, thanks so much for joining. Uh, Stephen Boyke Sidley, I, I really appreciate you, you you being with us again. And um, and you know just to kick off, I, w- I want to ask you uh, what was the purpose of the book? Why did you write it? Okay, so, I mean, here we are in hard lockdown at the beginning of 2021, and I think all of us are going a little bit crazy trying to find something to keep our sanity. And in my particular cases, I had been involved in Bitcoin since about 2017. I'd known Simon since 2017, and Simon had not only been involved since far earlier, in 2011-12, but also had some, some companies that was running that field. Uh, I had written a number of books. Simon had written one book, and it seemed like a good idea to write a book together. And it was evident to both of us that there was a gap in the marketplace. And the gap in the marketplace was between the intellectually curious person who had heard about Bitcoin, you know, maybe listened to a podcast or two, read the newspapers, maybe read an article or two, maybe heard about DeFi, but didn't, but probably not, because we did an unscientific poll at the beginning of 2021 with bankers. And no one had heard DeFi at that stage. We knew that this thing was about to explode, had been exploding through the 2020 year and particularly the 2021 year. And here was an opportunity for us to build an educational framework that was compelling, quite witty and funny at times, we tried to make it, and transformationally important to the world of finance. So so we got together and formed a structure of a book that would that would articulate this framework of this thing that was boiling behind Bitcoin. Bitcoin was getting all the press and all the media inches, but this one was likely to be bigger and more transformative in in, in its largest incarnation. So we went off to explain to people what this thing was, why it was important, how it works, and what was in it for them. And I must say, you know, the the title Beyond Bitcoin for someone like me was important because if it was uh, Bitcoin, the next big thing, uh, I, I would have just walked away. Yeah. Uh, and and I think you know it's important to, to you know for for people to understand that. Uh, you know, b- both the book, but also just this whole world of decentralized finance is not about one thing. It's not about Bitcoin, which I think attracts far too much attention, actually. Yeah. Uh, and 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 secondly, uh, the volatility of the of the price of it is actually to its detriment, in my view, yeah. uh, be- because it you know for for people that are interested in the world of 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 money. 
uh, something that's so incredibly volatile, it becomes a detractor. You know, it, it attracts a certain kind of, in, and, and I, I don't want to say investor because they're not, a, a certain kind of speculator, uh, and, and that, that's a bad thing. Uh, what we don't want is hot money chasing something because it then falls over. Yes. What, what you want is, if you're going to build an ecosystem, uh, you want it to gain momentum and keep momentum. You know? and, and so you know, all the attention that Bitcoin gets for its rises, uh, um, I think is, is really actually quite bad be, be, because it, it, it's followed by falls. You know? And not inevitable falls, but you know, I mean, it, you know, speculation, bubbles, et cetera, you know, be, become a problem uh, for, for an ecosystem like this because it's far bigger. And I, and I think that's the point you're making in the book. This is not about one thing. It's about an, a, a conglomeration of things. And, and we don't actually even know today what they're all going to be. Uh, is that is that fair? Unfair? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I disagree with you on some points. I don't think enough <laughs> people are talking about Bitcoin. It's you know, it's only managed to capture a trillion dollars in ten years, and, and also volatility is something you're going to have in the early stage of any asset class. Gold was wildly volatile, you know, on the frontiers when it was first being mined. Um, it's just I, so I'm not disagreeing with you that volatility is a is a bad thing, but it's it's kind of you you, you know it, the first the first phases of any asset class are going to be volatile. Um, but yeah, I think for me it was also just learning learning myself. Um, you've written books before, and and I'm sure you found the same thing that you kind of forced firstly to interrogate your own understanding of something, and really battle test your own opinions. Um, but also, I always learn new things. You know, I think I know a lot about something until I'm forced to write about it, and then you know I learn I, I learn new things. And you know, as Stephen said, we had what was referred to as the DeFi summer of 2020 when DeFi really exploded onto the scene. Um, and it was like this Cambrian explosion of just all of these new protocols and people solving for insurance, loans, all of these things that existed in the traditional financial world being solved on the blockchain, along with things that nobody had ever imagined, like yield farming, um, like DAOs, etc. Um, and so we had this explosion, and I was also feeling like I just I can't stay on top of it all. There's too much happening. And the book was a nice way, f- you know, for me to distill my thinking, my understanding. Um, learn some new things about it and, and really interrogate my, my own position on all of these things. So someone listening to this podcast and, and then going off to read your book, uh, the, the one, one thing I'd love to answer for them is what should they be doing after they read this book? What, do they, what would be the message you'd want them to take away to say, okay, do this or don't do this? Uh, where do they go from here? Okay, so that's probably the Toughest of all questions, because what we're not trying to do, as 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 Simon pointed out in a, in a previous episode over here, is is to give financial advice to anybody. But I think, like any other complex, transformative, and big new thing happening in our world, culturally, politically, technologically, I think people have a hunger to understand it. So what I'm hoping that people will walk away after reading the book will say, aha, I got it. I understand why this is important. The next stage that one may wish to take is, I would like to dip my toe in the water and see if I can get some, some returns that, that are better than my bank or see if I can get a different insurance paradigm or see if I can trade derivatives more cheaply. Those turn into personal decisions that have to do with personal risk. But at least after having read the book, um, I am confident that their people will be well armed to take those decisions. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't like giving other people sort of directions for what they should be doing. Um, I can just talk about what I'm doing. And I think one of the interesting things about people in DeFi that uh, a lot of people don't understand is we're never going to sell our cryptocurrency, never, because we don't have to. If I need RAND, I can go to a protocol like Aave I can insert my Ethereum, for example, cryptocurrency as collateral. 
I can lend a dollar stable coin against it. Um, I don't want to overexpose myself because then I'll get liquidated. So say I lend out 85% of the value, convert that stable coin into RAND in my bank account, pay my bills or whatever I need the RAND for. And a year from now, I go back to the protocol and let's say the price of Ethereum has doubled. I can now buy back my collateral at last year's price. So I can go, let's say Ethereum is worth 25,000 Rand today and it's jumped to 50,000 Rand. I can go and buy it back for 25,000 Rand. So I've just got my Ethereum back and I've got an extra 25 grand off the bat, right? However, if the price has gone in the other direction, let's say Bitcoin's worth only 10,000 Rand now and I don't feel like repaying my loan and getting back Ethereum at a, a lesser price, what do I do? I walk away and I get liquidated and I lose my collateral, right? But I'm going to stay in that system. I'm never really leaving it. And we've got these protocols now where I don't need help from the traditional financial world to lend money. Uh, increasingly, I can take out insurance using a protocol like Nexus Mutual. I don't need the traditional financial world for insurance either. And more and more of these things are being eroded and eaten up by decentralized finance. Plus, it's a lot of fun. You know, like the logos are 8-bit graphics and there's like rainbows shooting out of, you know, body parts. And it's, so <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to get that from my bank either. Right? <laughs> not, not the current bank. So, so I, my advice to people, if, if I could venture any, is just, is just pay attention to what's happening. Yeah. Um, and think, think about the things you're trying to do um, and maybe see if there isn't a fairer way for you to be doing them. Because I can almost guarantee you that in the world of DeFi there is, especially if it's something like a loan. And, and I think that's a power message for, for people is, you, you know, your range of options you might think are, are narrow in, in, you know, in, in the world of, of, of old finance, let's say. Uh, and, and actually there is a whole new world out there and it's worth exploring. Uh, I'm always scared, Stephen, when I, when I hear people talk about uh, investing um, and, and chasing big returns. Uh, because that bothers me, you know. I think uh, you know the the world of investing ultimately is driven by humans, uh, and humans haven't changed, no matter how much the technology around them changes. And and so, the the, the attractive part for me uh, um, coming out of this is to say there there is a lot we can do that makes our lives better. And we might not all get a hell of a lot richer, uh, and I'm saying all. There will, there will be people that will, like everything, make enormous amounts of money, and I'm sure there will be big losers as well because that's, again, it's humans. It's not about the ecosystem. It's, a, it's about who uses it. Uh, but, but the one thing that it feels to me is that it is, you, you mentioned it, the democratizing, and it feels to me that's the biggest benefit I can take out of all of this is eventually a, a lot more will be available to a lot more people, a lot more services, but potentially a lot more of their own money because they a lot less friction on costs, you know, and that that's key. I'm not sure we'll pay less tax. I'd love it. I'd love it if we could, uh, but but that requires something else. Yeah, I, th I think that the, the payment of taxes is sort of sits, sits proximal to this, but it's not very closely connected. Um, paying taxes is, is a moral duty, and people should pay their taxes even when it's easy not to do so. And, and Simon made the point earlier, is you pay your taxes more willingly if your government gives you service back for the taxes. You do that whether you're in crypto or whether you're in fiat. We all know how easy it is for some guys, accountants who are very smart, to also hide things from the tax man. I would add, though, that I, I think the idea of shared infrastructure is, is interesting. I think that's one area where we, we might pay less tax. And, you know, we used to this with roads, for example, where we pay a toll for being on the road. Um, but there's so many services that are delivered by municipalities and governments that could be shared infrastructure instead and you'd only pay for them when you access them. 
you know. So if I don't have a car and I walk everywhere, it's a little bit silly to expect me to pay taxes toward the road network as well. Or maybe it isn't because trucks are bringing me food. But let's use it as an example, even if it's not the best one. Um, but if there was a, a way for, for us to be quite precise about um, you only paying when you access the utility of something. So, for example, what if when you walked under a streetlight at night, it only came on when somebody was under it? And what if that streetlight had a wallet that connected to a wallet in your pocket and you could pay for that light that had just come on above your head in real time? You could stream the money like you stream your Netflix video while you're walking under the light. And if somebody else came walking in the other direction, it would automatically split the payment between the two of you, right? Um, so, And you're saying that's possible? That's possible with um, blockchain where it wasn't possible before. They're already streaming money protocols yes. that are built on Ethereum. So I get in the Uber and my money starts streaming to the wallet in the self-driving car. And when it drops me off, it stops streaming. Amazing. And if there are two people in the car, we share the ride. So this idea of streaming money and shared infrastructure, I think we might not pay less tax, but I think we'd be far more efficient in how we meted our taxation. Um, especially for infrastructure. Um, and that kind of stuff is interesting. But as with, with, with all things in technology, it's possible today. We've got the technology right now to do it if we wanted to. The human behavior be that, that goes into actually affecting the change is going to take decades. I guess that's like self-driving cars. It's all there. Yeah. We, we, we can. We can. We, whether we do is a different story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can just uh, see my father, his car can park itself and there's no chance he's going to let his car park. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you've already started to touch on it. I'd love to, um, and, and in your book as well, you start to talk about the future. So, so I mean, without, without kind of the science fiction part of this, what does the future look like in the next months and years ahead instead of decades? Okay, so, so let me start with some of the, the short-term hurdles which have to be overcome in order for this technology to be realized to its current potential. One of them, which is, which is probably less of an interesting subject than most people want to get into, is the matter of regulation, is that governments all over the world are grappling with a way to regulate this. The people who are within DeFi, at least the rational people within this, welcome regulation, because when it is clear what the regulation's in, it will mature the industry. So there are two areas in which governments over the world would like to regulate. One is tax. How do we tax this and how do we collect? We've already had a few conversations about people's desire to pay taxes, but the actual mechanics of paying taxes, they want to be able to say, what is this thing? Is it a currency? Is it a property? Is it a security? And how do we tax them? The second area is that the nation state can't operate properly unless it sees the flow of money through the society, through its economy. They've got two levers, as you know. You know, Central banks have interest rates and they've got money supply and they use those two levers to keep the hygiene uh, of the economy going. They're trying to regulate that around DeFi as well. Unfortunately, the laws as currently written are, are 50 to 100 years old and they are not applicable to something that moves as fast as, as a digital currency. So when you talk about the future, um, the most important thing that will happen over the next year to two, because the stuff moves quite um, um, slowly, is a clarification of the regulatory landscape, which opens up further innovation. You may want to talk about some of the other stuff that's coming up in the future. NFTs is one of them, but that, that's a five-hour discussion. So I, I, I've stayed gonna... away from NFTs on purpose. <laughs> I know you covered in the book, but, uh, but it'll take us down a different rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, I would say if one zooms out, the, the, the bigger thing for me is that there was a battle that started in the 90s um, when we have had a public internet for the first time. And that battle is between centralization um, and our traditional constructs around authority and decentralized information networks. 
Um, and that battle's turning into a war now. And I think that's that's going to be a big part of the future, is going to consume between this tension between the old world, where the propensity is to control and limit and meter, and the new world where things are open and free and accessible, permissionless, trustless, etc. And and th- that uh, I think that's going to be define a lot of what comes in the next two decades. And I think it's going to manifest itself in in you know in real conflict. Uh, I think to a degree, you know, we're sitting here at the time of recording with uh, a full-on Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So without going into the politics of it, etc., I think that's that's in some degree a manifestation of this tension. Yeah, I think we we're, we probably see it as well in in the whole resistance against vaccines. You know, and we we see the you know, in Canada and the states with big uh, you know anti-vaccine protests, and that's not necessarily just about vaccines, right? It's about people feeling controlled, yeah. uh, and it's the resistance to that that central control on their lives. Yeah. yeah, just just to expand a little bit um, on on one of the aspects of what Simon just said, the the, the great battle between centralization and decentralization. Um, I'll give you one expression of that would be well known to most of the people who listen to this podcast, is that the concept of a corporation, in order to put together a an organization to do commercial work, it's either got to be a corporation or a partnership and an LLC. There are very few structures that 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 have been um, regulated by a government. And they are very constrained as into the way they operate. You need a board of, for a corporation, you need a board of directors, you need a shareholders agreement, you need a memorandum of a corporation, you need a certain boards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way it's done. That stuff was invented by humans. That stuff is pure fiction. Somebody wrote that up as the best way to do this. In the world of decentralized blockchain, the way that a common interest is codified can be anything. It does not have to conform to a set of corporate documents. And that is the difference between a centralized way of looking at organization and what Simon talked about is the decentralized way of, of, of doing it. The reason that it has never been done before is it turns out that the blockchain is a very easy way to express that sort of infinite decentralization and, and elasticity of rules. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're so um, constrained for time always on these and, and, I'm, and I need to ask you my favorite question. So, so everyone that, uh, that that arrives gets put in the hot seat, and and the question to both of you, uh, but, but please answer separately, will be: uh, if you could meet your twenty-one-year-old self now, knowing what you know about the world and and life lessons, uh, what would be the one piece of advice you would give that twenty-one-year-old self? Okay, I have a twenty-one-year-old son, so, so so this is opposite. Um, the the piece of advice I'd give to him, which which I did, nobody gave to me, and I didn't invent on my own was to read outside your comfort zone, to read stuff in which you only have the most peripheral interest and would never think about reading a book about fungi or genes or, or uh, archaeology because it's not in the center of your interest because the center of your interest at that time of life may be involved in other things and sports or whatever. Read outside your comfort zone because the more widely you read, the better context you have about how the world operates and the better context you have about the world operates, two things happen. You're happier and you grab opportunities more readily. Thank you. How specific can I be? Because, I mean, I was 21 before the iPhone came out. It would have been like, buy Apple shares and then use the proceeds 10 years later to buy Bitcoin. To buy Bitcoin. Well, that's really, really specific and, and never going to be replicated. I could, I could be less, uh, less specific maybe with um, uh, understand compound interest. Understand compounding. I would explain compounding to my 21-year-old self. Like, understand compounding and stop worrying. Stop worrying.
It's amazing. Uh, th thank you to both. I mean, I think it's uh, it's interesting to get it from an author because it's uh, probably the first time I've heard someone give that piece of advice on the show, or as you said, not not maybe not globally, uh, but but. Uh, but, but stop worrying is amazing. It's a, it's a piece that comes through from people that are successful in their fields uh, th that we end up overthinking things and not just starting sometimes. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much to, to both of you for, for, for joining and for, for giving me the time to do three episodes with you. The book is called Beyond Bitcoin. I'm not doing the last part now. I'm done. <laughs> I, I think for, the, for people reading... And for people listening, uh, you, you will get again a lot from this. So, so, so go and buy the book, uh, Beyond Bitcoin, Decentralized Finance and the End of Banks. I have to do it one more time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's worth your read, I, I promise you. And I, and I promise you I wasn't paid to say that. Thanks so much to both of you. Thank Thanks you, Warren. It was Thank you. good fun. Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon.